This will be our 50th episode. Whoa. Oh. That's like what, golden anniversary? What are you getting me, Jonathan? A trip to uh, New York. Yeah. I am. Can we go see a Broadway play? We, we are. are. We're going to go see Harry Potter. A double feature. Uh, Harry Potter. Did you know it's two? Two parts? Yeah. You go in the afternoon and then you go back in the evening. I did not know that. That's good to know. Some so it's like, like during six, the week, it's like six hours. During okay. the week, it's Five, like a Tuesday, hours. Wednesday. Yeah, so you go two or nights a Thursday, in a row. Friday, and then on the weekends, it's two a day. It's a mad, yeah, it's a two a day, which is crazy to me. So it's like six hours, like five, six hours. Well, well two and a half and two yeah, and a half, it's five. Like, hours. City, like, I mean, if you think about a Harry Potter movie, it's like one book for an hour and a half. I just listened to all seven Harry Potter books. So she's like so ready to go. I'm like, let's do this. Welcome to another episode of Gem Junkies. I'm Brecken. And I'm Jonathan. And my sultry voice this week is brought to you by the common cold. <laughs> uh, along with my cough. Along with Jonathan's <clears throat> cough, our children are little germ factory so so here we are and today i'm hopped up on day quill and coffee so this is going to be an exciting episode <laughs> also a little amped up because jonathan tried to steal your m&ms yeah jonathan did try to just steal my m&ms so that was not appreciated i'm still my day today has been day quill coffee chocolate m&ms and christmas music okay i might be shaking she might be shaking <laughs> I'm just so full of the Welcome Christmas to episode spirit. 50. <laughs> <laughs> it is episode it, 50. It is yeah. episode 50. That's crazy to me that we've been yeah. we've done this 50 times. 50 times. Weird. If we stuck to it every week, it would be less than a year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have jobs, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But we had a question from one of our listeners about gem cutting and why certain gems are cut into different shapes and all that other kind of good stuff. Yeah. So we thought we'd kind of explore the history of gem cutting. So we're not going to talk today about actual how to cut a gem and about gem cutting in that way and how it's done and because uh, neither of us are gem cutters, so we don't really know I that. I mean, we so. could kind of talk about polishing and all that. Yeah, 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 but, but we'll, we'll do that in another episode. Really. Let's when have we actually, someone better. Yeah, we'll bring in a guest. We'll bring in a professional gem cutter and, uh, and, and do that. So this is going to focus more. Brecken was going to talk a little bit more about like the history and how gem cutting came about. And I was going to talk a little bit about the different styles of gem cuts and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And the thing that I find most interesting about gemstone cutting and the evolution of gemstone cutting is that it really is just people working with the tools they have at hand at the time. Mm. Right? So really your evolution of, of gem cutting is due to advancements in techniques, in tools, in material, and then often just the creativity of the cutter. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan, quick question. When do you think man, humans, we people, started cutting gemstones? Three million years ago. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on how long you think humans have been on the earth. But it was definitely prehistoric man. And he first started fashioning probably rocks 
um, for simple Soft tools. Soft rocks. Yeah, for simple tools. So it was when they first discovered a sharp edge could cut, mm. carve, make arrowheads, knives, that kind of stuff. And they inevitably noticed that some rocks were harder than others. Um, they'd use rocks to carve out walls for drawings, writings. And um, gradually they learned that the harder the stone, it, the more able it was to inflict scratches on less hard stones. And this led to early man developing a control over the shape and form of natural objects. And that goes into brooding, which is probably the first way man ever controlled rocks. Which is basically just one rock hitting one rock against the other to shape Exactly. It. Shaping a gem by rubbing one mineral against another harder mineral. And it actually was used up until very modern times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technology has advanced quite quickly. And so, yeah. And uh, it's also probably... Easy to say that early man noticed the difference between river-worn stones and those found elsewhere. So river-worn rocks were smoother, more polished rocks. Right. And so from there, it's pretty easy to conclude that they um, took what they saw in the river and applied that to other stones. So through the use of a rubbing paste with water and sand. So they would kind of use a paste of water and sand to rub against other stones to smooth them out, similar to that of river-worn pebbles. And by about 3000 BC, the lapidary skills that were developed were exceptional. They were making cylinders out of serpentine, um, early Bronze Age seals, which they would use to make so impressions like- in wax and everything like that were were extreme were done by extremely skilled laborers. So this is about five thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it, a long time. That's a long time ago. It is a long time ago. And eight, ancient stonecutters worked with softer stones because of the tools that were available. Sure. So you don't hear of sapphire or diamond being used five thousand years ago because mm. they didn't know how to work <clears throat> with that material. Sure. Um, jade was prevalent. In Chinese culture, but also in North America with the Aztecs and the Maoris of New Zealand. They often use it because it's a great material to cabochon, to carve. Well, it's tough, mm-hmm. but not as hard. It's not hard, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, one of the oldest stones, or arguably the oldest gemstone used in jewelry, was amber. And that's because it's lightweight, easily drilled, and it's got a pretty color. Hmm. And it's easily manipulated by man with not difficult or with less difficult tool. Well, how do I want to say that? It's easily manipulated by man. Yeah. Um, other, other gemstones were turquoise. Has a long history in jewelry. It's prized for the bright blue color. It's relatively soft and easy to work with. And you can buff it to a nice polish with just sand and water. <laughs> You also have stones like lapis, malachite, soapstone, and obsidian. And they often used quartz to work on those stones. So sand is quartz, quartz mostly. Yeah. Right? So they would they would use quartz and off, and quartz is also quite a beautiful gemstone. It's probably the first transparent gemstone that mm. they really used. Yeah. Um it's a 7 on the hardness. So it's fairly hard. Yeah, so it's fairly hard. And they would use quartz uh, together to shape the quartz material itself. 
but kind of that is how you kind of evolve. So you started with the softer stones with the tools that were available and early man started making jewelry, adorning each other. So now let's go into the Middle Ages. Okay. All right. And the Silk Road and magical powers of gemstones. Magical powers. (laughs) This is where it gets real. Okay. So all of these factors kind of combine to create a surge in gemstone cutting and carving. Um, Because of trade with India, China, Pakistan, Ceylon, Europeans were being introduced to newer gemstones, harder Mm -hmm. gemstones. And all of these stones... um, have had a huge history in India, Iran, Pakistan, Ceylon, where they come from. And it's easy to say that probably your first faceted stones were in India. Mm-hmm. And they were just cutting it based on crystal structure. Mm-hmm. So they're basically mm-hmm. just giving it a little polish on each side. Uh, when they started coming into Europe... Europe prized gems for talismans to protect against evil, to heal, and... Superstitious bunch. Yeah, to reveal to the wearer a reflection of divine beauty. So they were in it for healing properties. Again, this is the Middle Ages. We don't know why we get sick. This ruby is going to help me get better. Um, a medieval philosopher once wrote that the reason gemstones have more magical power than anything else is because of their luminescence and transparency, and it's because they resemble the appearance of heaven. Hmm. So medieval man believed that the light that radiated out of a gemstone was magical. Okay. And so most gemstones of the period were cut into domed cabochons to enable the strongest glow and color. So think about it. Diamonds weren't prevalent. No. They had a lot of colored gemstones. And the most important thing in a colored gemstone is the color. Right. So a cabochon really enhances the color, spreads it across the whole surface of the stone, and really reflects a lot of light. So that was the preferred cut of the time. It wasn't until advances in gem cutting uh, techniques came that they were actually able to facet diamonds and get light return. Now, the most interesting thing about a diamond is when it sparkles, right? So if you don't have the ability to make it sparkle, it's kind of a boring gemstone. Like, I mean, let's be honest, right? It is. It's hard. It's hard. So it's good for more industrial type purposes until you can get it to sparkle. Right. And it wasn't until they started using the diamond against itself and diamond dust to actually polish polish the surface of the stone that diamond cutting and faceting really advanced. Mm-hmm. And they typically didn't facet colored stones. So faceting of colored stones kind of follows after the faceting of diamonds. Mm. Okay. So remember I said that faceting began in India. Mm-hmm. So they would mostly cut into what is called the point cut, which is basically two pyramids, two four-sided pyramids. It's the octahedral crystal habit of like spinel or diamond. And so they just polished those sides up and there was your diamond. By 1380, what we would call a true method of diamond cutting was beginning in France. And that's where they would hit to cleave the diamond to achieve this eight sided natural facets of a diamond so they kind of hit it to make it shinier and that kind of stuff and give you kind of more of a a faceted look now the problem with this is that it sticks up really high and it's sharp as heck like (laughs) 
like, you'd be cut, right? Yeah. So it was super hard to wear in jewelry. Imagine having a ring made of a, like, a, it just, it doesn't work. Um, so in the 16th, in the 16th century, they developed the diamond table cut. And that was basically polishing the top of an octahedron off. Mm, so you just okay. like put it against a wheel, just put grind some it diamond off. dust on and grind it off. And it made it a much more wearable gemstone. Sure. sure. But still they were mostly used to accent beautiful cabochon colored gemstones. Okay. So brooding, like we talked about the early man doing, was still the method of choice. You would rub two diamonds together in different directions and facet the gemstone. Many diamond cutters had what they would call brooder box, brooders boxes under their wheels to catch the diamond dust and the rubbings to be used in later applications. Dust is really useful in polishing to remove scratches and all that good stuff. Um, big breakthrough was the culet. The culet, which is just a small facet on that bottom point point of the pavilion, yeah, mm-hmm, was invented to avoid accidental cleavage on a diamond because it does it could cleave the diamond all the way through, break your stone in half. So that helped take that away, and it's also used in colored gemstones now, sometimes because that point can be super fragile. Mm-hmm. In a colored gemstone. Um, and this is basically how your diamonds were cut up until the 17th century. Table facet, a facet, there you go. Um, then we welcome in the single cut gemstone, which is where you really start seeing a diamond take on a more rounded structure. Hmm. Yeah. And single cuts are still around, man. Oh, yeah. They're still around. I remember one of the first... Times I went ever out on the road with Jonathan. Customer. A customer's like, why are you using single cut diamonds? And Jonathan's like, I don't know. So we don't use single cut diamonds anymore. Because <laughs> they're cheaper. Because they're cheaper, yeah. But not much. But not much. But no, um, Not now with technology. <clears throat> the single cut kind of came along when people started saying, hey, these things sparkle. Let's see if I can make them sparkle More. more. Uh, so what you kind of do is you look at that square table that the, that the diamond had in that table cut mm-hmm. and you basically drop facets at the corners. So you end up with kind of an eight sided circle, right? It's not a true circle, but it's got eight sides to the circle. And this innovation was made possible by the properties of the diamond itself itself. It has weaker planes where those four corners are. So it made it easier to for us to manipulate and knock them off, <laughs> which is something I found throughout history is the gemstone basically tells us what it's going to do, mm-hmm. right? You can cut me this way. You can't cut me this way. <laughs> it's true. So bossy. They are bossy. They've, <laughs> they've learned from me or I've learned from them. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> We can kind of, we can kind of go back and, and kind of trace the origins of how we got to our modern diamond cut. There are tons of cuts that come in between that sure. I can't really describe very well. It's best no, just it's, to Google it and see the picture. It's pretty, pretty visual. It is. Um, but it all took advances in lapidary equipment and the determination to achieve the best light return. Mm-hmm. And that's how we, 
we find ourselves pricing symmetry because that gives us good light return. And it eventually leads to Tolkowski's ideal brilliant cut in 1914, which uses angles and science to basically produce the best light return in a round brilliant diamond. Yeah. Um, and we're still continuing today. I mean, look at all the innovations in cutting that have come after the round brilliant, we're still trying to achieve the best scintillation, the best brilliance, the best light return from a diamond. Now, colored gemstones are cut for color enhancement and promotion. So the cool thing that I think about colored gemstones, and especially if you look at like a Montana sapphire, sapphires are prone to color zoning. Mm -hmm. And so you can often cut or facet a sapphire so that it looks like the whole gemstone is a beautiful blue color. But if you turn it on its side, you'll see that just the bottom part of the pavilion is blue. And so it's it's kind of that cool manipulation that we can do that also enhances the color of a gemstone as well. So when, when we talk about cutting styles, the, the first thing that people usually talk about is, is actually the face-up look of a stone. So obviously, the, and that's that's where we start with what's most well-known You've got the round, an oval, a pear shape, where sometimes I hear a lot of times consumers call it a, a teardrop, but generally in the term, in the trade, we call it a pear. Um, that was my mom's first wedding ring. Yeah. Was I a mean, pear. like, not like with her first husband, but like with my dad, <laughs> that was her first one. Yeah. <laughs> let's clarify that. Let's clarify that. She, it got lost. I found it in the recycling bin once. There you go. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah. Then there's the cushion, which if you're not familiar with what a cushion is, you have a square and an elongated cushion. And that's where you take a square or a rectangle and it would be curved from corner to corner. So it would have a slight curve to, to, to reach each corner. Now, when they're actually straight, that's where you have either what's called the an octagon. Well, you have an actual square mm-hmm. or what's called a baguette, which is more of a rectangle, which is more of a rectangle. And then you have where you cut the corners off of a rectangle or a square. And that's called either a square octagon or an elongated octagon. Or a lot of times they're referred to as an emerald cut because traditionally emeralds are always cut into an octagon. Yeah. Uh, then your heart shape, marquee. Uh, then there's a trillion, which is kind of a triangular shape, but again, with slightly rounded between the points. And I think that's important too, because the sharper the point, the more inclined uh, it is for damage. For damage, yeah. So no matter what type of material it is. Yeah. So then, then you have an actual triangle cut, mm-hmm. and then halfway between a triangle and a trillion is a trillient with a T at the end. So that's where it's like a trillion with a little bit straighter. And I still get them all. I still get, it's like. Triangle, trillion, trillion. And I'll often call a triangle cut a trillion. I know a trillion is is the round, but yeah, yeah, it's still, it's. But then a triangle is exactly like you think of face up a triangle. So Mm -hmm. it's exactly, exactly like that. Uh, then you have a hexagon, which Mm -hmm. is exactly that. It's a, you know, six sided, six sides. And then you have, when we talked about a baguette, which is a perfect rectangle, then you have what's called a tapered baguette. So that's where it's smaller on one end than it is on the other. Mm -hmm. And then you can get more, even more complicated and there's all kinds of crazy things out there, but those are kind of the basics. Um, and then we get into actually 
the cutting styles. So those are really the shapes, the face-up shapes. Then you have the cutting styles. So let's kind of talk about the what what a gemstone looks like, the different parts of a uh, of a gemstone. So the very top, the flat part that you look through, it's the, called the table. Mm-hmm. Then you have the next part down from that. So we'll start from the top and go down. So the next part off from that until is considered the crown. That's called the crown or the bezel. And then the, the flat part that kind of goes around below that before it starts getting smaller. It's in your size girdle. Is your girdle. It's exactly. where the girth is. Yep. The girth. Yeah. The girth. The girdle. And so the, you have your girdle and then below your girdle is your p- pavilion. And then the pavilion goes all the way down to the culet, which is the very bottom point. So now that we have kind of the, how you put together a gemstone, the, the, those are the different parts. Then you can talk about what a brilliant cut is. So a brilliant uses either triangular or kite shaped facets, both on the top. So on the crown and on the pavilion. So that's a brilliant. Mm-hmm. Then there is a step cut where it's using either rectangular, like using rectangular facets all the way from the top. So from the table all the way down the crown and then all the way down to the pavilion. So they're think all like an emerald cut, like an emerald cut. Yeah. 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 So, so think that's round brilliant for a brilliant cut. Yeah. Think emerald cut emerald for cut step cut. For step cut or a baguette. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's the mix of the two, which is actually probably the most common which for I colored really stones, like, yeah. which is called a mixed cut. So that's where you either have a brilliant crown and a step cut pavilion mm-hmm. or vice versa. You have a step cut crown and a brilliant cut pavilion. So either one of those is called a mixed cut. Um, and then in the, so when you're going back to history, you have a rose cut, which rose cuts now are coming way popular, way more popular in style. So they're generally flat on the bottom. So they have no pavilion, Mm -hmm. but then they, uh, they're kind of, I don't know how the, the best, but they have, uh, all triangular up to a, Basically, a mound. You have a mound of facets. <laughs> you do. You kind of have. A, I don't know how else to explain like that. Like a pile of facets. Like a pile of facets. Like a, so. know, like a like a semisphere. Yeah. So basically, if, like. when you're talking about a cabochon, cabochon is flat on the bottom and rounded on the top, so it looks kind of like a hill. Uh huh. So it's so a rose cut is that, but with facets all over the top. Yeah. So then you can have a. Um, yeah, I like it too because it can also be flatter. Yeah, it can be flatter. And you can it's, use it on it works, pieces of rough that are super flat and thin. Right. So a lot of a lot of stones that normally couldn't be cut, and sometimes they're you know they're they're too included or the stone is too boring. Like like in a diamond, rose cuts are really pretty because you still get some sparkle. Whereas if you did a diamond in a cabochon, it would be. Boring. Like would, we there, said, there'd be, yeah. There'd be nothing to it. Yep. So the rose cut kind of takes care of that. And then if you can think of a rose cut set against the flat part of a rose cut, set against another rose cut, that's what would, in a single stone, that would be a briolet. Oh. So a briolet is, is faceted all the way around. And you can have all different styles of briolets. Traditionally, they're more of a teardrop or a pear, pear shape with, you know, a thin point on one end and then rounded 
kind of a bulb um, on the like bottom. A light bulb. Yeah, like a light bulb. And yeah. so that's that's kind of the traditional briolet, but you can have all different styles of briolet. So that's the briolet. We kind of talked about the cabochon. And then you can also have a what's called a double cab. So a double cabochon is rounded on both sides. Mm. We have a black opal like that. Right, right. Which, But not a sphere. So mm-hmm. a sphere would be perfectly round, but it would be, so it would be mountainous on one side and mountainous on the other, with, and it still has a girdle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So I think that kind of explains all the different kind of cutting styles. And then you can kind of combine any one of those and you can do freeform shapes. You can play with the different facets and change the size of the facets. And traditionally, a facet is flat. Um, but you can also have what's called concave faceting. Ooh, so fancy. Or fancy cuts. Yeah, or, or fancy fantasy cuts. cuts. Or fantasy. So <laughs> fantasy is where you're cutting grooves in. Mm-hmm. And concave is where it's normally rounded, almost like you scooped it out. Like, like an ice cream scoop. Like an ice cream scoop. Yeah. yeah. So those are kind of all your different facet styles and cutting styles. And you can really mix it up um, a lot to really get any more in-depth into cutting styles and so forth. It's so visual. Yeah. And so uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there if you just Google we can leave some links to um, to kind of teaching you about how to, you know, like what makes a good cut. Yeah. And that's that's really the, the best thing is, is that what are, you, what are you going for? So in Diamond, like we were talking about, it's all about light return and how much does it sparkle in scintillation. Whereas in a colored stone, it's more color comes first and that comes second. Mm-hmm. So when a, when a cutter is looking at a material, they have to make a decision. And sometimes to get the best color, you don't necessarily get the best sparkle. And sometimes to get the best sparkle, you don't get the best color. So it's a balance. And that's why we have things like mixed cuts and we have all different shapes. Um, and I also think it's super interesting that a lot of your diamonds now are cut by machine. Yeah. Where a lot of your color is still cut by hand. And that's because you need an eye of a human to say, well... The color is going to look best this way. The color is going to look best this way. We, yeah. we have to do it this way. It's not just what the rough says. It's, it's right. where the color is oriented and, right. and all and it that was, in the material. Yeah. It was in the 1980s that they first started to be able to like basically put together on a computer what the cut's going to look like and then the computer to spit out like how sparkly and how much scintillation will this, how much light return will you get based on this cut. Mm -hmm. And now we've gotten even more advanced that we can actually scan the rough into the computer and the computer, especially in Diamond, can say, if you take this piece of rough and you cut it in this way, you'll get the best return. The best yield. Yeah. Yeah. Which in color, it's a lot harder because the computer has a harder time analyzing where the color is based and what the color will look like, like. you really need more of a professional. Someone that's been doing it. It's been doing it for a long time. And that's where, you know, we're not cutters. So I can't. Yeah. It's It's, learned. It it takes a while to be able to orient a piece of rough and say, this is how I'm going to get the best yield. And I've watching people, we've been in several, in several cutting facilities where, you just watch someone and they pick up the piece of rough, they loop it a couple times, they look at it and they're like, this is what I'm going to do. And they fashion a beautiful gemstone yeah. out of it is is amazing. Yeah. And the fact that you can talk to them and they can tell you, 
approximately how much it's going to weigh, weigh. Yeah. what its size is going to be. I'm like, going to make it weigh this much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they know <laughs> how much it weighs obviously to start, but then uh-huh. for them to know what the final weight's going to be fairly closely by just looking at it mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. Uh, so it, it's, it's really interesting to see that. And then based on how the crystal shape is of each individual colored gemstone, that kind of determines how you're, what shape you're going to cut the gem into, which is why you see emeralds in an emerald cut because, because the way the crystals, crystals, they tend to be long crystals. And same with like tourmalines, like, you know, you don't see tourmalines so much in ovals or you rounds. See, or rounds. Yeah. You normally see a tourmaline will be in, especially a, in larger sizes. Yep. They'll be long. They'll either be a long baguette or they'll be a long emerald a octagon pear. or a pear shape because the crystal fits that. And so that's why sometimes, you know, we'll get calls. I want, you know, I had a call for a matched pair of tourmalines in ovals and they wanted them like 10 by 14 each. Well, it just, it just doesn't exist yeah, because cut that into a, a long yeah, cushion. Or yeah, a, it's going to be something emerald. much longer. And generally, the 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 crystals are long and skinny. So the problem wasn't finding something that was fourteen millimeters long. It was finding something that was fourteen millimeters long and, and 10, mil- ten millimeters wide. So it just we weren't able to fill it. As yeah. I said, you know, I can find things that are as much as as heavy as you're looking for, but not the right size. So yeah. you know, I can find something that's you know. 15, 16 millimeters long, but it's only seven, eight millimeters wide. So it's uh, something to kind of think about when you're a consumer going out there. You can't just make any gemstone any any shape and size. Unless you're willing to pay to have something much bigger cut down. And then at that point, it... Might not be but it still has to exist. It. It's not something yeah. we're making. Yeah. You know, and that's that's something you got to keep in mind is we're, we're generally, you know, especially colored stones are rare. The one <clears> thing <throat> that I've always found interesting, and, and I don't know if it's an old school way of thinking that's changing now, but like when I would talk to your dad and we'd talk about tanzanites, and it was okay to have a tanzanite in a trillion cup because mm. it was a fashion stone. Yeah. But you never saw rubies. You never saw emeralds. You never saw a sapphire in a trillion cup because those are classic stones. Right. So they should have a classic cut. Yeah. And, and nowadays you're seeing more people wanting more creative cuts and gemstones. You're seeing a lot more hexagons, a lot more shield cuts, a lot more tapered baguettes, and and just yeah, kites, and things crazy that are- shapes that that if if I, you know, five years ago went and showed Frank a hexagon cut sapphire, I think he'd say, what, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a fashion. That's yeah. a fashion. And that's, but that's also comes down to, to the availability of, of rough of and now material, with, yeah. you know, of the material. So now with like Montana sapphire coming in, one, the way that the crystal structure is set up, it actually fits a hexagon fairly well. Yeah, it does. It does. And then on top of that, you have that the colors of a Montana sapphire are less traditional. It's mm-hmm. not just your classic blue it's the blue greens and teals and yeah you're so not gonna see someone recut a cashmere sapphire no, into a hexagon no, cut like no. that's just not gonna <laughs> it's happen. just not gonna happen yeah. so i think it's it also has to do with availability is yeah. is that if there's a lot of availability and and the crystal structure fits then it makes sense yeah and we're seeing more of a prevalence and more of a request for non-traditional stone colors mm-hmm. which is probably why we're seeing more experimentation with gemstone cutting and faceting and yeah. and it's exciting. Yeah. So we're we're living it. It's it's so crazy how how our industry just 
keeps evolving and changing given what's coming out of the ground at that yeah. time. And how long our industry has been around. Yeah. Well, since they were making arrowheads. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so it's, so, so it's kind of crazy for, <laughs> so kind of for how long our industry has been around, how much it's changed recently yeah. and how much of the availability is, is recently. Yeah. I mean, is really, think about how long it took man to get to the round brilliant. Yeah. I mean, how many thousands or hundreds, thousands, whatever yeah. years yeah. that, that they were really working towards getting that great light return from a diamond and then the huge advancements we've made in just a hundred years from that yeah. so mind blown yeah thanks early man for getting us here <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of gem junkies i'm jonathan and i'm brecken if you want to see what we do in our daily lives you can follow us on instagram or facebook at parlay gems thank you bye bye